nice. Pick up the wrong kid. Uh, speaking of children, all of us are born with something of a blank slate, and we are influenced by our environment. Uh, as it's probably not all environment that influences us. Of course, there's some DNA action going on in there, but uh, there's a great influence upon us. That's what we're going to talk about today, which is influence. The, uh, the, the kingdom of darkness is trying to influence the world towards a certain goal. Uh, that goal is revealed to us in our passage. Uh, it's important to know what that goal is so that we avoid uh, getting involved in it. And that's because it's not going to be obvious all the time. And, and even to the most educated believer that you can be deceived. And you must understand that, that uh, you must be alert to deception. When I think of influence, I thought of uh, a DUI, uh, driving under the influence, which is not good. <laughs> that came from the pulpit for you. Don't do that. But uh, there's when I was studying this, I thought of a life under the influence. And that's what it is. So we're going to look at an LUI, not a DUI. And in uh, Scripture, Paul writes, don't get drunk with wine. And he says it's dissipation, which is a word for prodigal. You know, the prodigal son, like, threw away his life. Fortunately, by the grace of God, he, re, he got it back. And the same is true for all of us. We're forgiven and, and can get it back. We'll talk about that when we get to the end. But don't be drunk with wine that's throwing your life away, Paul says, but be filled with the Spirit. In a parallel passage, he says to um, let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. And so the Spirit and the Word... The Scripture and the Holy Spirit, those are the right influence. And with that influence, we're going to mature in a certain way. But as we saw yesterday, lies, deception, falsehood, false doctrine, false things that are called truths are things that are like too much wine. They influence in a very negative way. And uh, they're very deceptive when they do so. So we're going to start in our main passage in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And let's open up in prayer and be thankful that we can be influenced. If you're studying God's word on a continual basis, you're being influenced by the most important thing in the world, the greatest thing in the world. And to be influenced by it, we have to be humble and ready to learn. And so with that, let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word and thank you that you and you alone are the only true life. You are um, non-created. You are uh, without beginning and without end. Perfect, eternal life. And therefore, life is with you. You are life. You are spirit. You are love. And these things are you and you alone. There are many things in our world that are vying or competing for what you are. Call in itself or themselves life and love and freedom and justice. But we know, we know better. Because, Father, with you and you alone are those things. We know, Father, that we're sheep and can be influenced in bad ways. Uh, we are in uh, sinners as well. And therefore, Father, we ask that through your spirit now that we would be further influenced to be wise so that we avoid the trappings of deception and live this life that you've given us 
no matter what's going on, no matter what deceptions come upon us, no matter what pressures come upon us, no matter what the future looks like to us, that we live free and strong in you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, today we see as, as an adult, and of course we're all striving to be adult believers or mature, that you get to decide what will influence you. And it's what you expose your heart to. Now Satan wants to run you. He wants to run you like a shepherd runs a sheep, you know, and you know, would any believer say, yeah, I want that too? You know, none of us would agree with it. And all of us would be vehemently against it. No one would want that. So he can only accomplish it by deception. And that's what he does. And so we're warned, don't be deceived. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is composed by Matthew. Two times said, beware. And one of those bewares was of false teachers. And the other one was pride. Beware of pride. Beware of false teachers. So we're commanded to be sober and alert. And now, now just so with that, sober and alert, we, to be that, we have to be influenced by God himself directly to each of us. So our main passage in verse 3, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, says, Let no one in any way deceive you. For it will not come, meaning the day of the Lord, until the apostasy comes first, or unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction. Now that destruction has really a double connotation. Paul could mean that he's going to be destroyed, which he says in in verse 6. And he is going to be destroyed by the Lord. But he's also an agent of destruction, as we see in the prophecies. And so it could be either one, I guess. So the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. And further, his description goes on or his characteristics move on in verse 9. And Paul writes, that is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan. So we see where he gets his power with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness. Now, Paul says don't be deceived, and this is about being encouraged. And we have to remember that, because these letters, in 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians, both letters are letters of encouragement to believers who are doing really well in the spiritual life, but are under a lot of persecution. And they've, they've gotten some false information somewhere. Someone told them that they may have been in the day of the Lord. And Paul tells them here, look, that can't come until two things happen. There's an apostasy. And now there's always been apostasy, but, you know, this is of a particular type. We're a little bit in the dark here as to what Paul exactly means. But we also, we know that, you know, after the rapture of the church, you know, how, how could the world... Once it's no longer influenced by the church and once the church is out of here, because we're pre-trib rapturists, I think all of us are, that, um, you know, what can happen to the world? Because the tribulation doesn't start the very day of the rapture. There's got to be a bit of a delay there. And so there's is likely, and this again is my opinion, and I'll get to that, 
that right after the rapture, there's a great influence, there's a great uh, growth of apostasy. Now, apostasy means to depart from something that you once believed. And it could be Christians who professed to be Christians who were not, didn't go up in the rapture, and they become apostate. I don't know that, though, and nobody knows that. But an apostasy is coming, and Paul says that it hasn't gotten here yet. And also that this man, this man of lawlessness, has not been revealed. Now, what I just said about timing and order of things, I don't really know. And nobody really does know. So we're, we're piecing together, bit, together bits of scripture and trying to figure that out as best as we can. And we have strong evidence towards some things and weaker evidence towards others, depending on your opinion. But the reason I point that out is that Paul is not getting to that here at all. If he were, he would have spelled it out for us, but he doesn't. And that's because these letters are about encouragement. That's what they're for. And we need to know that because if we're looking for timing and order of things and dispensations, and then we're looking for it in the wrong place because Paul didn't write the letter for that purpose. He wrote the letter to encourage them. And so we should let the letter encourage us and not look for things in it that are not there. Timing with God's future is quite elastic. But what we do know is that coming someday, and it could happen very soon, a very bad world is coming. It's awful. Let's read uh, Revelation 6. You can just read one chapter out of it. That's where the the seven seals are broken. Um, It's awful, and the world is going to be under the worst ruler by far that it has ever seen. That day is coming. We're not going to be in it. However, so why would Paul tell them this? Well, first off, so that they know that they're not in the day of the Lord, that this, this... They're not in that age, but he also encourages them to stand firm and not be deceived, right? And this kingdom that's coming is all about that. It's all about deception. The whole thing is smoke and mirrors. And people get rich for a while, and people, they're forced to worship to be, and all this stuff happens, but, you know, it's none of it has any substance to it. And we have to be careful because as we see, as Paul continues to write, that after he has taken his seat in the temple, that God in verse 6 and 7 restrains him now. And that this restrained mystery of lawlessness that is restrained continues to influence the world. And so what Satan wants to do, he can't do because God is restraining him. But yet God is allowing this uh, enormous amount of lies and falsehood to be propagated all throughout the world throughout history. And those lies can influence us greatly. And so the future kingdom of the Antichrist is described as lawless, as opposing, opposes all things. Uh, as exalting, exalting self, 
as demanding worship and as deception of wickedness. In other words, wickedness or adikia, the Greek word is unrighteousness, will be proclaimed as righteous. You know, as God says, they're going to call evil good and good evil. And someday these will be established on the whole earth with the physical presence of the Antichrist. And you're going to be forced. If you live in the world at that time, you're going to be forced to do what they want you to do by penalty of your own execution. But now... These things are a part of what, so what we see here, what we see in the future to come is exactly what Satan wants now. And so we see what he loves. We see what he wants. When he finally gets free reign over the earth, this is what he's going to do. Lawlessness, opposing all things, exalting himself above all things, being worshipped, calling himself God, deceiving the whole world with wickedness. That's what he wants to do. And that's what he's trying to do now. But he can, he can do it now through propaganda. And it's amazing how effective it is. Right? How effective is it? Even we've seen kingdoms come and go. Where propaganda and lies were, were portrayed all throughout it. And people bowed, their, bowed to it and said, sure. And believed it. And they believed a lie. And caused enormous amounts of harm. And those kingdoms rise and fall. It's influence. People are influenced. So how are we influenced today? And that's what we get to here first. And so what I want to do is is tie together these characteristics that Paul says the kingdom is and what mindset those come from. And so the mind of the false kingdom, what is it? Well, first it's lawlessness. That's how he's described, the man of lawlessness. Lawless means without law. And... You know, in, in, a, in a way, in, we could describe lawlessness in many ways, but what I'm going to use it for today is minimizing the, how bad sin is. And because this is so prevalent, why are people lawless? Why do people throw off God's authority? They say, well, come on, it's not that bad. Sexual immorality is very prevalent. It has been throughout all human history, not just now. People say, come on, everybody's doing it. It doesn't matter. It's not that bad. The destruction of the family. It's not that bad. You know, we're not gonna we're gonna have kids and we're gonna live together and maybe we'll split up, you know. So we're gonna have a sing, parent a single parent household. Ah, oh, come on, it's not that bad. And what this is is the minimizing of what sin really is. And people say, well, it's not that bad. Well, I haven't killed anybody. They say that's bad. But they say not that bad. And believers do this too. Right? Especially in our pet area of weakness. We try to convince ourselves it's not that bad. And God will make sure you know that it's that bad. <laughs> and then uh, he poses all things that stubbornness. Again, I'm relating this to mindsets now. God called Israel multiple times stiff-necked. That's what it is. Stubbornness, hard-headed, wooden-headed. Remember it was a, class, a few classes ago we talked about folly. Folly is the uh, every sign tells you to stop and turn around, but you keep going anyway. That's folly. That's Your head's made of wood. Right? In other words, you're not... You're not responsive to the truth 
That's opposing. Exalts himself. That's pride. Demands worship. Now, most American, most I say Americans, true, but most people in the West and the East and everywhere, um, they don't really, when I come out and say, I want you to bow down and worship me. You don't get that from a lot of people. But what they all want, and we have the tendency, every one of us is believers too, is to gain approval. You want people to say that you're doing well. And when the things that you're doing that you hope to turn out well turn out in a disappointing way, you're looking around for approval. And you're looking to people. Approve of me. Tell me I'm doing okay. And man, is that a trap. Because you will always be a slave to opinions of others. And that is the demand of worship. See, well, we'll get to that. And then lastly, deceptiveness of wickedness. Deception of wickedness to us this is the fact that anyone would think wickedness is going to work out well for them. That's delusion. Deception and delusion. Now, we have to escape these not once, but every single day. They come to us and tempt us, maybe not all of them at once, but at least one or more tempt us every single day. And we have to escape them daily, daily. So I have to be sober and alert daily. So the question becomes when it, you know, when it comes to influence, we're talking about today what influences you. Well, what does? Ask yourself that question. What influences you almost every day or most of the day? Is it a person? Is it people? Is it media? Is it entertainment? Is it an addiction? Drugs, alcohol, or sexuality or illicit sex? Uh, those are the big three. I know there's others. But uh, what? What? Some idol. It's some idol, something that it could be money. It could be family. It could be uh, a marriage. It could be a, a romantic relationship. What is it? What influences you the most every day? Is there a time in your life where God says, you know, yeah, I'll step aside. I don't need to influence you today because I see you're obviously occupied with something else. Is there anything else that's good enough to be occupied with, meaning majorly influenced by, that has nothing to do with God? Now, you can get kind of crazy with this and say, well, I'm going to be influenced by God every waking moment. And then you have no like time for, I don't know, just chilling out and watching a movie or maybe reading a book that has nothing to do with Christianity. You know, something entertaining. Uh, just some downtime. There's nothing, obviously, God gives us that time. But those things can influence you if that is, you know, they're your priority. Secularism, worldliness, if it's your priority, it will influence you greatly. Like some people will watch a little TV for entertainment, and some people watch it all day. Some people look at social media a little bit, and some people pour hours and hours and hours into it. And that between you and God. So here's our, if you remember this from yesterday, this is our chart. And uh, in the middle were the lies and deception. 
and this is where, so sin is on the outside, and that's, this is what leads to it, is first and foremost is that you're deceived by some lie. And so you say, I believe, and you fill in the blank, but what you're believing is wrong. It could, be, it could be in a marriage where the woman says, I'm equal with my husband in terms of authority. God says, no, you're not. Plainly. He has authority over you. Whether you agree with it or not, it doesn't matter. But if I say, you know, the whole world says I, it is that way, and so I believe that. Well, you see, sin is going to come from that. And until you fix the lie in your soul... You'll continue to rebel against the authority of your husband. And there'll be a perpetual, not every moment, but there'll be a, this continu- not continuous, but uh, uh, repetitive sin. But that's just an example. It could be, it could be any lie. Then that lie uh, appeals to my pride. That's the green circle. So I'm on my way out from the center to up to the sin. From the green is the appeal to pride. I say I'm able to do things that uh, I shouldn't do, but I find that I'm able. And then I say, well, uh, in, the, in the yellow, that now I elevate myself. That's what pride does. And I say I'm above the consequences. Even though I feel the consequences, we'll see coming up, I lie to myself and justify that those are not the real consequences of sin. It's something else. I blame someone. I minimize those effects that are upon me. I make excuses for why I'm miserable. It's not because I believe a lie that I'm miserable. It's because of that person or it's because of that situation or it's because of my upbringing or it's this or that and I'm blaming And then lastly, I have the right. So I believe a lie. I'm able to do what the lie tells me. I'm above the consequences. And now I start to think I have a right to do this. And it's against God. And that's the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And that all leads to sin. And when sin is prolonged in this way, it leads to death. And that's what happens. And it doesn't... It could mean that you physically die early, uh, but it could also mean that you're just, just as James puts it in James chapter 2, you're a child of God, but you live as an orphan. You're a child of God, an heir of the Almighty. You are blessed beyond your dreams, and you live as an orphan in this world, away from your father. And that all comes from that. Starts here. Starts in the middle. I make a deal. That's I like the handshake in there. I make a deal with a lie. See, now, so Satan would, you know, wants to get you to sin, but that's not really what he's truly after. What the, his main assault is this here in the blue in the middle. That's his, what he's after. If I can plant the lie in them, then the sin will be perpetual. It will always be there for me to use when I want it to. What God wants to do through the truth, right? What is the truth? The alive and powerful pierces to the dividing asunder between soul and spirit. The truth gets in here and it gets rid of that nonsense. 
And when we come into Christianity, we've got a lot of this inside us, a lot of lies in there. We have a lot of misconceptions. We have a lot of pre-understanding. God, right? Did you think you knew what was in the Bible before you started studying it? Of course you did. You had a preconception of what was in there. How wrong were you? Like by miles. And still we have these preconceptions. We must understand that we do so that we don't buy lies. So the result is L-U-I. Right? You get pulled. <laughs> God pulls you over for this. Takes you out of the car. Sometimes he writes you a written warning. Right? That's a nice gentle warning by God. Then he warns you again. Then the tickets start to pile up. And one of the times he's going to pull you out of the car and beat you with a stick. And he gets to do what he wants. Right? There's no court that says, hey, hey, that was, that was police brutality. There's none of that. So that's what I, I, I kind of dug this. I, I thought of this today. This life under the influence. It could be alcohol. But there are people who never touch a drop of alcohol who are influenced by lies. And their lives are lived in slavery. And that's what the kingdom of darkness wants. When this lawless one comes and takes over the world, he enslaves the whole world. And everybody. No one is excluded. If you don't take the mark of the beast, you don't get to buy or sell. You starve. You get nothing. So many martyrs. But in, in Revelation chapter 6, I was reading them just the other day. They're, so all those martyrs are in heaven. You can see them in Revelation 6. L-U-I. Now, what's the result of this? Uh, influence. Well, people don't like to be alone and uh, uh, not pursuing anything, right? Everybody wants a purpose. Everybody. Everybody pursues it. And so what's offered in the world is idols. And that is a little Baal, by the way, from somewhere dug up in the Middle East. That is Baal. Look, how people bow down to that. That very little Barbie doll, <laughs> that ancient world Barbie doll, people bowed down to. Can you imagine? And believers in Israel hiding those things, bowing down to them, offering incense to them. But anyway, uh, idols here, just a few. Money, probably the top. Uh, approval. Physical lusts, which I liken to addictions. Physical lusts are, I just want, I just want to feel good. Hey, is there anything wrong with feeling good? Nope. It's how you do it. There's nothing wrong with money either. There's nothing wrong with approval as long as it comes from God. Actually, God wants to give you all of this. And it shows us that this is always a counterfeit. Satan can't create anything. Uh, can't create anything. He wants to give to mankind what mankind really wants. But what all he can give is the perverted of the good. Right? Sin is a perversion of good. You have to have good first. Like, you can't have perverted sexual behavior unless everybody knows what normal sexual behavior is. 
You can't have a perverted use of money unless there's a normal use of money that is good and righteous. Good always originates first. So money approval, physical lust, uh, work. You can be addicted to work or worship it as an idol, even family. And Jesus said, you love mother or father more than me, you're not worthy of me. You made an idol out of them. And why do people do this? Well, it's because they're unhappy. And so we want to focus on Christians because unbelievers do the same thing. But Christians, when they get involved in, in being deceived, that they do the same behavior, uh, even though they're children of God, they seek after idols, something to worship because they need purpose and, you know, uh, they... they uh, also offer to us some kind of legitimacy. I say, hey, you know, I'm making money. That's legitimate. I've got a family to support. That's legitimate. I want to feel good. That's legitimate, right? So even the pursuit of an addiction has its legitimacy to it. It's a complete lie. But we're saying, you know, I'm having fun. I have a right to that. And God wants to give you fun. He's the only one who can, actually. But the fun that God gives you is perpetual. And it doesn't depend upon a chemical or a person or an event or circumstance. You know, we, were at the, we went to the fair Sunday. We went to the state fair. And um, we decided... <laughs> It's so funny running around with little Maggie. Uh, you know, they have uh, you have to be this high to get on a ride, and Maggie's fearless. I, I can't get over this kid. She's she used to be scared of stuff. She's not anymore. She was going up to the big adult rides and saying, "Am I tall enough?" And thank God the sign was like twice her height. But we were able to sneak on it. You know, so I'm watching this, these huge lines of all of these people getting on these insane rides that I wouldn't. I'd be throwing up all over the park. Right? And and these insane rides. I used to be able to ride them when I was a kid. But, you know, like, what is that? It's just fun, I guess. <laughs> I remember when it used to be for me. But Maggie and I went on this scrambler thing. I kind of snuck her on. And she was, like, that much shorter than the line. I was like, come on, we can get on. So we got on, and, uh, man, it was fun. It made me sick as a dog for a little bit, but... We just had a blast. Is there anything wrong with that? No, obviously not. Yeah, I'm sure there are Christians who are like, no, you can't do that. Those were the ones that write, you can't have any fun at all. You can't swim, you can't dance, right? You can't watch movies. They took it to the extreme. And they made an idol out of self-righteousness. Look how righteous I am. I don't dance. What a ridiculous person you are. We can make an idol out of anything. And God wants to give us pleasure. God wants to give us fun. And he's the only one who can. And so that you don't need... You know, you can get on the ride. Uh, There there was a a time when um, we went to Six Flags. This was many years ago. I was probably 20, 
nine years old, 28, 29 years old. And we were in, me and two friends, we took a trip to California and we went to Six Flags on a, like a Tuesday afternoon. There was nobody there. There were no lines anywhere. We just got on the roller coaster, got off of it, got back on again, just and did every ride. And by the, by the, after about two hours of getting on every ride, we were just tired of it. I mean, how many roller coasters can you, can you do perpetually and then say it's just still fun? It's not. <clears throat> it's true of all of these. So there's only one place in which the human soul is fulfilled, and it's by its creator. As long as these and others are worshipped, they continue to influence the soul. They continue to influence. That's why, not the amusement park ride, but the drug or the sex or the money or the approval, there's, you're, it's never enough. If people have approved of you and you felt good about it, then you need more and more and more. They need to approve of you all the time. But it's the same with all of them. So are the idols actually giving you anything? This should be a pure evidence to the fact that the idols don't give a thing. They take and take and take and take until they take your life. And right when you're about to die, they leave you. They're not sticking around. They abandon you long before you give them up or have to give them up because you're sick. They abandon you. God is the opposite. As God influences us, we gain more and more. It's called the grace of God. He bestows favor, unmerited favor upon us. And I love uh, God. Uh, one of my favorite parts of God uses sarcasm in a number of places in the Bible. My favorite is when he uses it for idols. Idols teeter and talk. This is another Baal. And notice, he has to be glued to a pedestal or he falls over. Can you imagine bowing down to worship your Baal and as you're offering your prayers and incense, he tips over? That's kind of a bummer. right? It's going to make you feel a little stupid. So notice in Isaiah 41.5, it's one of the places God makes fun of the idols. And he, this is the idol maker, the craftsman, he fastens it with nails so that it will not totter. You better nail that thing down to a platform or it's going to fall over. And God compares himself to that. So when, you know, the idols themselves are unbalanced, unfounded, and fall over, what is God? And we're told, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 3, that our foundation is Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1 says that our foundation is God himself. And we will be established even more by God as we follow him. So the result of the idols is pain. Right? They don't deliver. So there's more and more pain. And that's a good thing. And when you're in pain because of the idols, because you're deceived, because you're influenced by the wrong thing, which come from the kingdom of darkness, as he wants to establish this all over the world and is trying to, 
That's the Holy Spirit now. If you're a believer, you're ta- He's talking to you. Those are all those signposts that are going up. I'm just saying, turn around. You're on the wrong road. The misery, the pain. But we're going to stay in the negative a little bit more. Because we can resist that message. The pain happens and we resist it. We feel boredom, loneliness, self-doubt. You know, the idols give you like a false sense of, of, um, of you know, elevation. They give you a false sense of, of that you're doing well. You know, that you're good. And then, you know, because they can't deliver from that. The idols just keep taking. And so, self-doubt comes in. You get rejection. It always happens. You get rejected. There's confusion and there's despair. And as believers, we should recognize that Christ gave us, came to earth to give us a lot more than boredom. Right? Christ came to give us eternal life. I'm the bread of life from heaven. You eat of this bread, you'll never hunger again. Yeah? That's fulfillment. And fulfillment means that, that means love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, all the fruit of the Spirit. That, that is the, the fulfillment of you. The fullness of God. Filled up to all the fullness of God in Ephesians 3. But a child in God of God can live like an orphan. So while the pain comes and the boredom comes and the loneliness comes, the self-doubt, the pain, the rejection, I must turn around. And the prodigal son who orphaned himself, did he not? He left the father of his own free will. He orphaned himself. But when the pressure and the pain came upon him, he said, i got to go home. <clears throat> In Galatians 5.4, Paul says to the Galatians, they were duped. The Galatians were duped. They were lied to and they bought it. They bought the lie. You have been severed from Christ. You are seeking to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. It didn't mean they lose their salvation. They orphaned themselves. And Paul wrote him the letter of <clears throat> Paul wrote him the letter of Galatians so that they would turn around. <clears throat> so this results in more the more pain, and then when the Holy Spirit convicts, here's where we resist. You're in pain. <clears throat> yeah, but it's not the sin. Right? I'm just I'm just on a bad string of luck. Uh, okay. Really? It's not because of your bad decisions. <clears throat> it's not because you're not following God. It's not because you're not learning His Word. That's, it's something else. So we minimize the evil of sin. It's not that bad, right? We say, well, everybody's doing it. You know, as God word, God's Word says that this is evil and it's wrong and it's against Him, we say, well, is that really true? So we minimize it. We lie to ourselves saying it's not that bad. Here's a, you know, we weren't given eternal life just to survive. We were given eternal life to live abundantly. That's what the Lord said, I am the shepherd. In John 10, that beautiful passage about he's the great shepherd and we're the sheep. And he said, I've come to give you life and life abundantly. So we lie to ourselves. It's not that bad. We blame others. Somebody else's fault. We deny. That's a great one. Human race is great at this. 
Uh, you're, you're suffering and dying. No, I'm not. I'm doing great. It uh, doesn't look like it. Oh, no, I'm fine. You know, it's denial. Then we throw contempt. This is a great one. Throwing contempt means, you know what? All that stuff in the Bible was just a bunch of malarkey anyway. We throw contempt on God's Word. And people say this. say, I, You know, I'm real. I'm living in reality. See all this pain that I'm under? That's reality. Those Christians and pastors talking about that abundant life. I tried it. I tried it. It ain't real. I live real life. You're self-deceived. And you've thrown contempt on the only reality there is. And then there's a false repentance. False repentance is you know, just what it says. You say, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I repent. I'm going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to change. You'll see it. It's going to happen tomorrow. <laughs> and then tomorrow comes and, well, you can't change on like a Friday. Right? I'm changing on Monday. Monday comes, you're going to see it. First, no, January 1st. That's the day. That's the day I'm going to change. False repentance. <coughs> so you bought some lies. Your life was marred with sin. You worshipped idols that didn't make you happy. Pain increased. You resisted the pain and the conviction of the Holy Spirit and you self-justified. And what have you got? What do we have for him, Johnny? Right? What did you get from all of this? You live, you're a born-again believer who lives like an orphan. A child of God. All right, that's all the bad news. Yesterday was all bad news, too. So today we got to get a little bit of good news at the end. And now, you know, the influence for good is first you're redeemed. If you're a believer. Now, if you're an unbeliever, the good news is the gospel, that's what the gospel means. Eulageo uh, means good news or good word, the Greek word for gospel. And it's the good news. And, you know, we never stop learning of it, even though we believe the gospel. We never say that the gospel is a thing of the past. The gospel is our life. Now, the gospel is our, our redemption. And we, so what redemption means is that all your sin is forgiven. And that's good news. If your sin's not forgiven, man, after one bad day, that's it. You can't come back. Well, that's not true. Redemption means that you can come back just like the prodigal son did. And the father will throw his arms around you. Secondly, Christ has made you a child of God and opened your eyes. And now that your eyes are open, you can look into the mirror of the word of God. Looking into the mirror of the word of God, as 2 Corinthians 3 says, you behold God's glory. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, but we with an we all... It's all believers now, right? Not just some elite group. Everybody. Every believer. Even in your English translation, you don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be a theologian. You can read that Bible and see the glory of God in it. And yeah, there'll be parts that are a little bit confusing. That's when you can ask your pastor about those. 2 Corinthians 3.18, But we all with an unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That passage goes on to say the same image of glory from God 
becomes into you. And you behold it. Now, you behold the glory of God, it's got to change you. And it does. So this is where we start. Now, if you're beholding the glory of God, getting back to our little chart here, that's when these lies and deceptions start to get replaced with the truth. And things start to change. Instead of pride, humility. Instead of elevation of self, worship of God. Instead of lust of the eyes and the flesh, a desire for God's will, way, and life. All starts in the middle when the Word of God is not just read, but believed and applied. It has to be all three. You can't stop and be an academic with it. You must live it. It's what it was meant for. Uh, So, yes, beholding in a mirror. So then God says, stand firm. You're in Thessalonians? Correct. Look at 2 Thessalonians 2.15. So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught. Now, traditions just means here, as Paul uses it in several cases, where it is the things that were taught to you. So when you say traditions, we in in our English language think of, you know, like Fourth of July or Chris, what we do at Christmas or something like that. But this is specific to the fact that it was taught to them, and therefore traditions here means the Word of God that was already taught to them. So you hold fast to the truth, but you know, traditions is what we want to see here because tradition is what Paul had ingrained in them. When he taught them, stand firm and hold to the traditions. Now the idols, right? They totter. You got to, as God said, you better nail it to a post or it's going to fall over. But we, in the truth, hold this word hold, right? This holding on to the truth gives us a solid foundation. And I have no education. According to the world, I could be dumb as a post. But I've got the Word of God and the traditions of God in my heart. I will be wise. I will be humble. I will worship God. And God will, I, God will be able, you know, as the potter molds the clay, He's going to mold my life. And the reward in this is that you're going to live not influenced by all of these lies in which Satan is trying to control the world, but you'll be one of the few who are truly free. And as Christ said, it's going to be an abundant life. Stand firm in the Lord. Go back to 1 Thessalonians 3. First letter. 1 Thessalonians 3.8 For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. You could also go on to Ephesians 6, where you pick up and put on the full armor of God and hold your ground against the schemes of the devil. Right? Stand firm. Right? It's, a, it's Paul speaking of a continuous standing and a strong foundation and a steadfast faith in that which is true. Because you have the Scripture 
to show you what is true. I love how Paul says here, now we really live if you stand firm in what we taught you. So what happens is with the false kingdom, we get rid of that. Actually, I'm going to get rid of this slide completely. But all of these things change. I already said that. And now we come to this. So this is another chart. This is a chart that I came across um, a while ago. Uh, not too long ago, a couple months ago. I was pretty impressed by it. And, and it reminds me of, if you're uh, influenced by Colonel Theme, he had a, a, a graphic that was bottom circle, top circle, if you remember that. And the, there was a saved believer that could be in and out of fellowship with God. And that, this is very similar but the, the extra detail is this to this is, uh, and it's by that lady, Ruthie Delk. I give her credit for this. She composed this. Um, that in the top circle, you have you as, well, let's start over here. Here's you here. And notice you're broken. He's got a, you can't really see it. I thought it would be bigger. But anyway, I'll, I'll try to describe it. He's kind of broken down the middle, and he's looking in the mirror, right? And that's the passage I showed you, the mirror of the Word of God. And he looks in the mirror of the Word of God, and the brokenness means that, well, you know, just like every time we come to it, you come to the Word of God, there's always going to be something that convicts you. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.16, real famous passage, that all Scripture is God-breathed or influenced or um, uh influenced by God, inspired by God. And it is profitable for reproof and correction, right? But it's also profitable for teaching and training. And so as you, this, if you stay in the top circle, as you go around, when something's wrong, you repent, meaning you change your heart, you change your mind, the Word of God changes your mind, and you have joy, and you go around and around in the top circle. What we've been talking mostly about today is the bottom circle. And that is where, in her depiction, instead of seeing what's wrong with you in the Word of God and all of us see it, instead you go to the bottom circle and you resist. And over here, which you can't even see, <laughs> I don't know why I thought this would be so much bigger, are all the things that we do to justify. And that was this list. You minimize it. You lie to yourself, you blame, you deny. And as you're on that bottom circle, you're doing all these, all the self-justification things and around you go. And as you look in the Word of so over here are your idols that you worship. And if you stay down here, you keep worshiping the idols, God conviction the Word, you go, you continue to make your excuses and around and around you go. And you can spend years years and years down there. Justifying, worshiping idols, you get convicted by God. Well, not quite it. So around and around you go. You, you keep justifying. You keep finding excuses and never facing reality. Because when you face reality, you're going to face the Word of God here and then you're going to change. And that's what repent means. You're going to change your heart and say, you know what, in humility, I have to do what God tells me to do. I have to conform to what God is, His authority. Why? 
that's what Ruthie here has at the top. You're a child of God, and God is your master. The Lord Jesus is your Lord. There's no other way to do this. But if I'm not forgiven, I can't do this. So I don't get. I'm not a perfect child of God by any means. But I can get more and more strong. I can get more like Him. I can follow Him. But if you're down in that bottom circle where you're worshiping idols, you're all about the world. You're a believer who's stuck in the the one at the bottom here. Let me get rid of all my silly ink. Uh, that's an orphan at the bottom. And so I'm a child of God and I'm spending all this time in, a, in an orphanage. Really, the world becomes my orphanage. This body becomes my orphanage. This mind that doesn't have the Word of God in it, nor faith, nor perseverance, is an orphanage. And I'm stuck in it. And the pain, God is so graciously faithful. He's going to keep the pain coming. So that you'll be delivered. But no, it is your choice, is it not? He can't force you into that top circle. You've got to decide. And believe me, I know how hard that decision is. It is hard. But God's never going to quit on you. And He's never going to stop reminding you of the promises of what it's like to live in His kingdom. In His world. In His laws. It's wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. God will pour His power into you and you will be amazed at how powerful you can be. Not with your muscles, but with your heart. Uh, people can oppose you. Things can oppose you. People could not approve you. And, you know, you're not... By the way, the, this doesn't mean that you're happy all the time. Right? I should throw that in there. God didn't promise happiness all the time. What I mean by that is there's a contentment. Yeah, there's a, hap- there's a happiness is the fruit of the Spirit. You'll be a happy person. But there's going to be times of real difficulty in which suffering is going to be upon us. That We have to understand that that's a part of it. And another lie from the kingdom of darkness is while I'm doing well on this top circle, when things get painful, then I go to the idols. Because the idols promise, well, I'll take care of your pain, no problem. And in a temporary fashion, they might. So it's not going to be easy all the time. But the reward is great. The reward is the ability to even handle the pressure and to know that you're an overcomer through Jesus Christ your Lord who works powerfully in you. That is a wonderful reward. Now, if every time things get hard, you cave to the idols and you you know do whatever to make yourself something in the world to make yourself feel better, well, you, you know in your heart how weak you are. That's just pure weakness. And God did not give us a spirit of weakness. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the freedom that comes from your word. You have set us free. And as you say, we need to use our freedom 
uh, to love one another, to serve one another, and therefore serve you. Follow you, Father, and to have the joy in the life of our Lord in our hearts, even when it gets hard. Thank you, Father, for your deliverance. We thank you for your influence. We ask in Christ's name, amen.